Good morning, Westside. I just wanted to say that I'm very thankful to be here with you guys. Um, I'm glad that Stacy was able to share about discipleship. That was a conference I was able to go to, uh, I think, t- two years ago now, um, and that was life-changing for me. Um, so I, I think it's awesome that we as a community are sending people still to go and do this. Um, I'm just really thankful for Westside as a community. I think there's a lot of really awesome things going on here at the church. Um, I'm thankful especially for the youth ministry. I, I really think that there's been a lot of amazing things happening there. And I'm really thankful also for the life groups and how just everyone is so invested and um, wanting to get plugged in. Also, today happens to be the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So I thought it would be fitting to share some things that I am thankful for. First off, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my school, I'm thankful for my friends, I'm thankful for the relationship I'm in, I'm thankful that I have a car to drive, I'm thankful that I have a house to live in both at school and at home, Um, I'm thankful I'm currently healthy, I'm thankful for also lots of good food, especially this week it's going to be a lot of good food, and I'm also really thankful for for, uh, coffee. Um, But these things are all temporary, right? What happens when they disappear? What happens, or what about the hardships that we face? The loss of financial stability, physical illness, or the loss of a loved one. What about when relationships fall apart or grow distant? What is something we can be thankful for that truly lasts? For those of you who are unaware, we are in our fourth series in, uh, or sorry, fourth sermon in our series, First John, No Greater Love. The title of the series is actually what we will be talking about today. There's this idea of a great love that does not disappear because it is from God. <clears throat> but before we open, or sorry, So let's take a look at this great love. But before we open God's word, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you again for all the things happening at Westside. I thank you that we get to learn about you and we get to worship you and remember the sacrifice you made for us. Lord, I just pray that um, what we learn today would be um, just moving in us and, um, and convicting us to live a life that is glorifying to you. Lord, I pray that we would focus on the power of your love. In your son's name, amen. If you would open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. That's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. We're going to go ahead and read it together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son, only Son, into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What comes to mind when you hear the statement, God loves you? Have you ever really thought about it before? What, about what it means? I mean, that's a very simple statement. I think a lot of us have heard it before. Maybe you grew up in the church or have attended a lot of Sunday services. Maybe you've seen it on a sticker on the back of a minivan. Maybe it's on a wooden decor plaque in your living room. It might be something you've heard a lot of Christians say. If we truly understood God's love for us, it would influence us in a very powerful way. It should even cause us to change our behaviors and how we interact with others, even help us to have a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Lord. Verse 7 opens with the Apostle John commanding his readers to love one another. This is the command, let us love one another. When John says love one another, he means to love reciprocally and mutually. We are to love one another. This is expected. Now, he actually backs this command up by telling them, love is from God. And whoever loves is born of God and knows God. To be born of God is to be renewed in Christ, becoming sons of God through faith in Jesus. He's clearly trying to make a point here. He's saying if you are a born-again Christian believer, meaning you are a Jesus follower, frankly, that means we are to love. He's not saying let us consider loving one another. He is commanding it. Not in a forceful way, but from the truth. He's saying that if you are a believer, you will love. Being born of God gives us the ability to love other people like God does. So let's define this type of love. For those of you who maybe don't know, the Old, or the New Testament was written in um, Greek. The word agape, which this word agape means love, um, <clears throat> means to love in a self-sacrificial way. It's a love that compels sacrifice for that which it loves. It is not a self-seeking love. In the world, often I think we see love as, what's in it for me? How does this make me feel? But the love that John is talking about is completely different. It does not come from loving someone based on them being lovable or attractive. It comes from a place of great love for those who need love. 
Personally, I love how John opens this section too. He calls his readers beloved. This word means dearly beloved or divinely beloved. He's not only modeling love, but reminding them of a truth. They are loved by God and him. This is addressed to believers. There should be an underlying attribute of love in a believer's life. Verse 8 furthers this statement with a very convicting truth. Take a look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, the last few sermons in this series, we've talked a little bit about why this letter was written. Herb, who started our series, made mention of the fact that the word know is mentioned around 43 times. So John, is cle- John clearly wants his readers to know something. Another reason this letter was written was to combat a heresy called Gnosticism. One of the beliefs they were perpetuating was that those who had more spiritual knowledge were more enlightened than others. They believed the more they knew about God, the holier they were. And they looked down on the so-called unenlightened and did not have love for anyone who was below them in knowledge. So John is writing this letter to combat this. He is saying that um, <clears throat> he is saying in verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Personal knowledge of God without love is the same as not knowing God. Again, John is not saying that love is an option. He is saying that it is a genuine characteristic of someone who believes in Jesus Christ. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Wow, this is a very convicting statement. I mean, loving others is really hard. I struggle with loving others. I've struggled in the past. And I mean, even in the past, I feel like I've even felt hatred towards people. So why am I expected as a believer to love? How do I love? Well, in response to that, let's unpack one of the most profound statements in the Bible. John goes on, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We have to realize John is not saying just that God loves. I mean, he does, but it's in his nature to love. His love is the greatest love because love reflects who God is. Who is God? Well, God is triune. We have to understand how the Trinity works to understand his love. I don't mean that we're going to spend this whole time unpacking how God can be three in one. I just mean we have to understand the basic relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is love because he is in relationship. The Father and the Son loved one another before God created the heavens and the earth. The Father was loving and delighting in his Son. The Holy Spirit stirs up their love and administers to love connection. All three play a unique role. This in turn creates a fellowship and love connection between the Trinity. So we can see in the Trinity that God is love. He loves in relationship. In the same way, those in relationship with him are to love because he models it for us. 
How can we have a relationship with love if we do not love? I'll give you a little bit of an illustration. So I have a lot of friends who are runners. Some do track, some do cross country, and some just like to go for a run whenever they can get one in. Well, imagine I was sitting with my friends who are runners and they asked me, Michael, are you a runner? And I said, yes, I am a runner. And I started telling them all about all the best tracks, the best trails, all the best equipment, best shoes, all these things. And they said, really, you're a runner. How often do you go for a run? And I say, I don't go for runs at all. They would be shocked. How could I claim to be a runner if I don't go for runs? And my response to them would be, well, I'm a runner because I know a lot about running. Yes, this is ridiculous. Why would I claim to be a runner if I don't run? But many of us act like this in our relationship to being Christians. In the same way we might know our Bibles, the best preachers, or all the best theological arguments, we say we know God, but we don't love in the way that God calls us to. Just like real runners run, real Christians love. We are to love one another. John goes on further to explain why we are to love one another. Because God loves us. Let's take a look at verses 9 through 12. It says in verse 9, His love was made manifest among us. His love was manifested through sending Jesus who came and self-sacrificially died for us. In verse 10, it further explains that God did not do this because we loved him, but because he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, which propitiation is a really awesome and fancy word for appeasement or satisfaction. Propitiation acts as an appeasement for something that deserves wrath. Christ took upon himself our sins to satisfy the Father's wrath. Sin deserves punishment. That's why Christ took all of our sins on himself. He did this to save us. This is true agape love, self-sacrificial for the benefit of the one that is loved. John, again, is great at backing up his points. He's showing us how much God loves us. And then he brings it back to love for others. Verse 11, beloved, there it is again. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He's back to the beginning. Love one another. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, he abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. What John is saying is that the way others will see God is through our love. Because he abides in us. The word abide literally means to reside, remain, stay, or dwell. If God abides in us, then others will see him through our love. John Piper, who is a well-known pastor and theologian, puts it this way. The love that you have as a born-again person is no mere imitation of the divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. In this way, we are experiencing God's love in us. It is being perfected in us or brought to completion. 
The agape love of God in, or in us grows and grows into a habitual nature for us. It becomes a habit in our lives to love. Have you ever heard about these stories? I, I hear about them all the time of someone who is very unloving, um, who's just not a very pleasant person to be around. Um, they kind of mistreat their family. They don't really enjoy people's company and just kind of not a very warm person. Well, you hear these stories of these people that are like this coming to know Jesus and the gospel radically transforms their lives. They go from being a very unpleasant person to being a very loving and warm and welcoming person. For some, they become better bosses, better spouses, better co-workers, better parents, better children. This love that they are experiencing through the gospel radically transforms their lives. Another area I have seen the power of God's love was in my brother's life. I saw a man who was suffering through cancer love others in such a sacrificial way because God's love was in him. He was a faithful and sacrificial husband, a loving brother, a faithful friend, an avid church volunteer. None of this went unnoticed. One of my favorite stories of my brother was when we had to, or when he had to go to a counseling appointment through his hospital. And the counselor, who was not a believer, said to him, I think, honestly, I get more out of these sessions with you than you do. This could have only been possible because my brother was showing him love through the power that God has given him. God's love is powerful, and people take notice of it. That's why we must be quick in action to this call to love one another. So, what are some things that prove the power of God's love in our lives? And what, uh, and what we can point others to? First, we see that God abides in believers because he has given us his spirit. John is saying there is proof of God's abiding love by the fact that believers have the Holy Spirit. We know through scripture the genuine mark of one's faith is the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Spirit produces fruits. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we can be confident of our abiding in him and he in us by the Spirit's work through us. We have proof of his love if the Spirit is in us and working through us. Second, we see and can point others to the fact that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John says, we have seen and testify. He himself was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry here on earth. John, as one of the twelve disciples, had a very close relationship with Jesus. He can testify to God's love because he lived it. I think John is trying to tell them that the gospel is proof of God's love. It's proof of God's love for us, and it's proof to others around us who see the work of the gospel in 
our lives. I mean, take a look at the 12 disciples' lives. Tradition says that all of them were persecuted and all but John were martyred. To me, this tells me that they truly believed in the power of the gospel. They were confronted by God's love. The love God showed uh, to us through the gospel is incomparable to any other act of love. God sent his son to be our savior when we deserve to be punished for our sins. We believe all who confess that they are a sinner and that Jesus Christ is their savior will be saved. If you are here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus, I would invite you to consider the love God has for you. There is no greater love. Jesus came to save us and to take our place. He did this for you, but you must put your trust in him. Jason already talked about this verse, but John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Don't run from his love. Embrace it. The love of God is powerful and you can experience it in your life. So, for those who have been confronted with the power of his love and have trusted in Jesus, what are some results of his love? Verse 17 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. The word perfected means to bring to an end or to complete. God's love is propelling us towards a confidence from his love. In this love being perfected in us, we can have confidence on the day of judgment or the day of wrath. Everyone in the world will one day stand before the, um, before the Lord and answer for the sins that they have committed. One day we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And we know we can have confidence because God sent his son to be the appeasement for his wrath for those who would believe in Jesus as their savior. So when someone who has put their trust in Jesus stands before the Lord on Judgment Day, they can have absolute confidence that Jesus has paid their debt. Verse 17 goes on further to say, Because as he is, so also we are in this world. It's the same idea of the abiding love of God. As Christians, we have his spirit and are being transformed into the image of the Son. God will not look at those of us in Christ with punishment anymore. He looks at us and sees his son who has taken our place. Verse 18 furthers this in relation to love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It says that there is no longer any fear in love. The abiding love of God. But that perfect love, again, the abiding love of God, Casts out fear. Well, why is there no fear in love? Well, for, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
He is saying there is no need to fear the punishment of God if God's love is in you. God is working and active in our lives, in the lives of those who believe in him. And the abiding love of God should prove to believers they don't need to fear. John is saying that believers don't need to fear God's correction on their lives if they are living in the abiding love of God. If they are obeying God's commands of loving others. We as believers must obey this command, not out of fear, but from the power of God's love in us. So, looking at verses 19 through 21, John brings it back to this main point, to love one another. He says, we are to love one another because God first loved us. Again, agape love is from God and must be present in a believer's life. All the reasons we've looked at for God's love prove why we must love. Verse 20 states, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is saying those who hate their brother cannot love God. This word brother is not just biological, it is also a broad term meaning close friends or equals in status. John is addressing believers and their relationship with other believers. Saying anyone who does not love their fellow believer cannot know God because God's love would powerfully move them to love one another. Again, back to verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. John ends this section similar to how he opens. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He is not just exhorting us like earlier. He is commanding us. He's telling us is a command from God to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, we as believers are being called to love without exception or excuse. God's love needs to be evident in our lives. Like earlier, I asked about the statement, God loves you. Now we know what his love is like. God's sacrificial love sent his son to die for us. So, Faced with this reality about God's love, how should we respond? First, to the gospel. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, I would invite you to put your trust in Jesus today. His love is waiting for you to experience. God's love, or God loves you and wants you to experience the fullness of His love through Jesus. If you have any questions about this, come up to me after the service or one of the elders. We would love to talk to you about it. The second way we are to respond is in thankfulness. We should thank our God for all he has done for us, that he gives us his spirit, that he abides in us, and that we no longer fear condemnation because of his love. This thankfulness should be what everything flows from. We must recognize how much our God has done for us.
This thankfulness should be what everything flows from. We must recognize how much our God has done for us, and it should cause us to live out our lives in gratitude. This is truly something that can last. God's love does not fade away. So when I asked about what is something that we can put our trust in that truly lasts and what we can truly be thankful for, well, we can be thankful for the power of love. The last way we are to respond as believers is with love. Love for God and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As you are leaving here today, the intention is not that you would leave knowing that you are to love one another. The intention is that you would start loving one another with agape love, self-sacrificially. The way we love one another will set an example to those outside of the church. We don't want to be a church that is accused of being unloving or to even those in our congregation. The truth is things get really ugly when we as believers don't love other believers. This is why it is very important we love one another well. So, here are some practical things to consider. It's the holiday season, and some around you might not have anyone to celebrate with. Open your homes to them. Invite them to your Thanksgiving meals or Christmas this year. Invite them to celebrate with you. Maybe there's someone in the church that you've just been neglecting to get to know. Maybe offer to take them out to breakfast or a cup of coffee on you. I know I appreciate a free cup of coffee. (laughs) I would encourage you to reach out to someone this week and encourage them in their spiritual walk. I know times in my life where someone has just randomly sent me a text encouraging me have been some of the most impactful things in my spiritual journey. The more we love one another and come beside one another, the more powerful of an example we are to those who are not believers. Ways to practically love God would be to worship him for all that he has done and to be obedient to his commandments. And this is his commandment to us, to love one another. Agape love, which is sacrificial, could mean to sacrifice time and money for people. Go spend a day with someone and get to know their needs. Get to know them and get to know what they need. Offer to provide for someone's needs. If you are able to give financially, I would recommend going to our church's website and giving to the Benevolence Fund. This fund helps people in our congregation that are in need. Another thing that you guys could consider doing is, instead of maybe splurging for Black Friday, maybe commit to sending a camper to Eagle Firm Camp next year. Our website also has a link to fund a camper to go. Most of all, the way we interact with others, especially those who are not believers, should be with love. When you are out in public, your behavior should indicate what you believe in who you believe in. The way we love others will show people Jesus' love. Again, back to the runner illustration. 
The more that you run, the more natural it is to run. I know people that say if they didn't go for a run, they would feel weird. It's become a part of their lives habitually. In a similar way, we are to love habitually because being a Christian is to love like God. However, we aren't doing this out of our own power or our own strength. It is because God abides in us. And our strength comes from him. And truly, we have the power to love if God abides in us. Once more, just like how real runners run, real Christians love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for everything that you revealed to us in this section of scripture. We know all the proof of how much you love us, what you've done for us, how you've sent your son to be the propitiation for our sins when we deserve that wrath. Lord, we thank you that you are love and that your love is not self-centered, it is sacrificial in nature. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the power to love one another like you love us. Lord, I pray that as we walk out these doors, we wouldn't just increase in head knowledge, but that we would truly take it to heart and let your spirit move in the way that we love one another. Thank you for all you've done. In your son's name, amen.